And here we are with our second episode of the now-named All Talk podcast. I'm Michael Whalen. This is my co-host, Adam Hester. How's it going? And today, we are discussing movie theme songs. But more to the point, the the bonus point system that I've almost created in my head over these years of songs that share the title of the movie or a a lyric in the song is the title of the movie or a reference to the movie somehow. Uh, I I have no actual bonus point set up for this. It's just in my head. That's what I've always kind of said. What if it somehow incorporates the score? How do you feel with that? Absolutely. And and songs on our list will definitely uh, fall into that to where if you've heard the score for most of the movie, then all of a sudden at the end scene or the end credits, there are words to that score. That absolutely, that's through the roof bonus points. And from the look of it, I believe we have a lot of those on here. So, oh yeah. Without further ado, uh, let's get to it. I think we've got a, this. This will be a two-parter. Hell, it might be a three-parter. <laughs> um, and also, I don't even think we scratched the surface with just the list we made just mm-hmm. over the last few weeks. But right. anyway, uh, with that in mind, uh, let's get started. Um, I don't think you can start talking about something like this without bringing up Purple Rain. Yeah. Okay. I can live with that. I mean, the the whole thing is, uh, the whole soundtrack's iconic. Yeah, yeah, which is ironic, and I feel like this is a certain theme that might come up repeatedly in this episode, mm-hmm. but um, I'm going to get so much hate mail from one of those seven listeners, <laughs> but here goes anyway. Purple Rain is a somewhat unremarkable movie, but the soundtrack is possibly, you mm-hmm. know, it's definitely Prince's most well-known album. Right. Whether or not it's his best, that's no, probably no. up for debate. Right. But to a lot of people, probably so. And okay, I guess I had less to say about Purple Rain than I thought. <laughs> the, the, there's, yeah. I, I don't remember anything about the movie. I'll be honest. That's probably the, for the better. The motorcycle, you know, maybe I don't. You know, it's, it's yeah, the soundtrack. The, the purple soundtrack motorcycle, the and I well, and I mean that's the thing. It's like it's not a musical, but it might as well be. Right. Like which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking which, going back to the criteria, that's another thing we kind of ahead of time eliminated from contention anything that is from a musical right. or any bond song because those are a little those are a little too easy yeah or if you you know something like wedding uh, singer you know you're cheating you're going back to you know something 20 years before and you're using all 80 songs and it's all popular 80 songs right yeah so it's like is it in the movie yeah but uh, yeah. it's not from the movie it's cheap so, yeah it's cop out yeah in any case but yeah sorry no uh, purple rain yeah i think you're absolutely right it's um it's uh, the movie is not what people really remember. I don't think, or they maybe they enjoyed it because they were younger when they saw it. But mm-hmm. it's, it's not. It's the songs. But yeah, as someone who actually has seen it in recent years, I saw it. They did the thing where they re-released it in theaters mm-hmm. right after Prince died, yeah. I guess. And I went and saw it, and I remember it kind of going just mentally on my list of like better remembered than revisited. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there you go. Um, when, you, when you have nine songs on the soundtrack. Yeah. And included amongst that, Let's Go Crazy, Computer Blue, Darling Nikki, When Doves Cry, I Would Die For You, and Purple Rain. That's six of the nine songs. Yes. That's a pretty solid uh, soundtrack. Yeah. Like all, and again, you know, many of those amongst his biggest hits. Right. Come to think of it, uh, I won't go into too much detail, but the song Darling Nikki is actually personally responsible for the like parental warning label right. Right. that right. were on CDs when we were growing up. Sure. Because Tipper Gore came in and found her daughter listening to it and freaked out. Right. 
which is another story. Yeah, that's in, another podcast. Involving D. Snyder. But, <laughs> boy, did they pick the wrong rock star to try to bring in to prove a point. Um, but having said that, uh, I will ask this. Uh, Prince did come through Bozier at least one time. He did. Did you see him? I did. Me too. A great concert. I'd say probably in my top three, maybe my top one. Yep. It's right up there. Yeah. And he closed with Purple with Rain. Purple Rain. One of the best uh, Super Bowl performances as well. Yes. One of the few times when Rain actually yep. added to it right. when it inexplicably happened in the middle of a performance. Right. But yeah, definitely. So, moving along. Blaze of Glory is... I am so glad you included this in the list. I couldn't not include it. Yes. Yeah. Um, it is kind of the poor man's wanted dead or alive. Let's be honest. However, for what we're talking about and the things that we just love about movies and soundtracks, uh, it, it hits every note, doesn't it? Indeed. And on top of that, it's funny you kind of mentioned what you said about it because apparently the story goes uh, Emilio Estevez wanted wanted Dead or Alive for the movie Young Guns too, mm-hmm. and basically called John Bon Jovi about it and he was like, how about I just write you a song for the movie? Right. And then he did, and thus Blaze of Glory was born. Yeah, very similar song. Yeah. Um, it's the fact that I'm going back trying to think about the music video. Um, there were definitely appearances from the people, uh, the actors, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it was one of those that showed was. a fair amount of like just scenes from the movie yeah. you know, interspliced with John Bon Jovi standing somewhere in the American Southwest. That's a, I'm looking at it right now, and that's exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, it's got the it's got the name of the movie right there in the song lyrics. That's why they call me Young Gun. Yeah. So uh, the fact that it's got the young actors of the day in, in those Young Gun movies, you know, um, it, it 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 ticks all the boxes. Plus bonus points for it being a hair metal band, quote unquote, in 1990. Correct. One of the ones that's actually still around today. Sure. Um, the 90s were a weird time for former hair, hair metal singers. Especially in that period between roughly about 1990 to about right. 93. Uh, I'm sitting here. It just It's so it's so good. This, this video, by the way, 55 million views on YouTube. Perfect. 55 million. Yeah, it's him in the desert, and there's like he's up on top of the of a rock formation, and now he's gesturing with his hand and no longer playing the guitar. Everything about this is just awesome. Nice. I'll actually uh, make a what I was told once was a bold statement. I'm not sure why, but here goes anyway. I personally prefer Young Guns Two to Young Guns One. Okay, there. I don't said uh, it. You know, I, I mean, honestly, they're they're the point gets across. Yeah, you know, you're not watching a film; you're watching a movie, and they're both very enjoyable. Indeed. And also, just, I kind of like, you know, that it actually covers the story of Brushy Bill, the guy who claimed to be yes. Billy the Kid and all that. And I like that it kind of goes after that legend. Yeah, how, yeah, at the end, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like that, too. Not that covering the Lincoln County War is a problem or anything. I like the first one. <laughs> I just happen to like the second one a little sure. better. So, yeah. Uh, moving on, and ironically, third on our list, and well-fitting because it comes from Rocky Three. Eye of the Tiger. Eye of the Tiger Rock. I the tiger rock. It it is said in the movie a hundred times. I'd say two hundred, maybe, maybe two hundred times. But yeah, that most of the dialogue, um, and I think technically in a weird sort of way, this song almost kind of is the score. Like, yes, you have the Bill Conti stuff thrown throughout, but you yeah. also have the song played. They use it as an many, 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 many times. Sure, they do. So yeah, yeah. 
I have the Tiger Rock. And when you you really look at the soundtrack for Rocky Three, it's mostly instrumental. The whole thing, mm-hmm. except for Survivor, uh, and then uh, I think Frank Stallone sings on two or three of them. Uh, Frank Stallone. Yeah, that, that's a feel, whole episode within itself. I feel like we might get to him eventually right. for one or two, but yeah, go he, ahead. He does vocals uh, on Take You Back, Pushing. Um, the rest of it, it's a lot of instrumental here. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of like unnamed. Which yeah, Frank Stallone, know, if there's a Sylvester Stallone movie, chances are Frank Stallone for a time there was in it somewhere singing something. Yes. So, yeah. but, um, it's not so Rocky Four when you get into a lot more pop songs. That you know, there are instrumentals in that too, but not yeah. not like Rocky Three, which may be calling a bit of an audible here. But mm-hmm. now let's discuss some of those because I think quite a few good songs off. You know, like I still in my workout playlist, oh, still yeah. a very sizable amount of Rocky Four oh, songs the whole are on, on it. my phone right now. Yeah, same here. You know, No Easy Way Out. Uh, the name of the guy who sang that is escaping me. Um, I'll say Robert, Robert Tepper, Tepper, maybe Robert yeah, Tepper. Right. Yes. And you've got John Cafferty doing Hearts on Fire. Yes. You've got, you've got someone that we will get to in a few minutes mm-hmm. who, in my opinion, is the godfather of movie soundtracks, Kenny Loggins. Nice. Singing Double or Nothing with Gladys Knight. Of course, worth noting, speaking of godfathers, I believe you also have the godfather of soul, mm-hmm. one James Brown. He sure is. Singing Apollo Creed. Living in his, America. That's yeah, right. onto his fateful last walk to the ring. Right. One of their writers, by the way, on Double or Nothing, the Kenny Loggins and Gladys Knight tune, is the great Paul Williams. Nice. Like, uh, this, there is so much hidden, like, trivia star, star power in this soundtrack. It's ridiculous. And why it might not... Uh, I have the Tiger, by the way, also on the Rocky Four soundtrack because it's the opening song in Rocky Four. Right. Um, it's um, maybe not... Uh, although, no, you know what? Uh, Burning Heart. When it's East versus West. So about, it does reference the movie. Yeah, I was about to mention that because that's, one, another Survivor song. Jeez, and two, if I recall, that's also Survivor after they had undergone a singer transplant, okay. shall we say. Because, yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head. I want to say maybe Survivor had possibly three singers. And I think Eye of the Tiger, you know, the singer of Eye of the Tiger, probably the one that most people remember because most people, when they think Survivor, that's what they think. And I think by that point had a different singer, but is that not the same guy? I'm pretty sure it's not. If you want to double check that okay. on Google really quickly, right here on the air. Oh, I know that it happens. It's worth shot. I f- I feel like it's the same guy. It sounded to me like the same guy. I just seem to remember hearing somewhere that it wasn't, and being puzzled initially, right? And then, yeah, uh, uh, we maybe we can circle back to that. Fair enough. Oh, uh, no. Okay, so here here you go. The band suffered a further setback when lead singer Dave Bickler suffered vocal problems required to undergo an operation to remove nodules. Very common ailment in singers. Um, but it doesn't mention if he was... I mean, they, they had another guy for a while, yes. So I guess maybe they did. God, those guys... Maybe that's why they got him, because he sounds the same as the other guy. That's yeah. a good chance. Jimmy Jameson. I would never would have... In my entire life, I'd have gone, gone to my grave thinking it was the same guy. Wow. Okay. Because he did all the hits. I can't hold back. High on you. The search is over. Um, and then Burning Heart. Wow. Okay. Maybe he covered it. Maybe hits, he covered you something. say. Interesting. Sorry, continue. Uh, <laughs> number 13, number 8, number 4 on U.S. charts. Um, and uh, Burning Heart, by the way, got to number 2 on the Billboard 100. 
So I wonder if maybe he went back and covered some of those earlier tunes. That's possible. I, I bet so. I think it's a veritable guarantee he sang it once or twice. Oh, sure, in a yeah. concert, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. No way they're going to get away without playing that. No, I, no. Actually, I had a friend once who worked one of the Survivor shows, I think, when they came through here, mm-hmm. and my first question to him was just like, so how exactly did they stretch Eye of the Tiger into an hour-and-a-half-long performance? <laughs> Sir, I will let, I will have you know that Survivor has many fine tunes. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. The world doesn't know, not anymore, but yes, yes, they did. I just told you four top 20 songs. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. It could <laughs> be the Alzheimer's. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, John Cafferty is awesome, by the way. He's got two or three notable songs himself, and Hearts on Fire being one of them. Yes. In the Rocky Four soundtrack. Mm. But, uh, th- yeah, you cannot go wrong, because you've also got the training montage, the Vince DiCola training montage. Certainly back on it, I will say, uh, I do have a certain, I don't know, soft spot, I guess, for the song High On You, but sure, I kind of hate myself for it, but I do. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, not one not <laughs> one to drop the windows and blare, but it, it's a good song, just saying. You know, you can stay with Survivor's a common also, thread here. Also, got to say, yeah. one of Bartender at Stray Cat, Lee Slack's favorite songs, ah. High On You by Survivor. Okay. Just for anyone local who's listening. Who might have the ability to, from a remote location, play songs on that jukebox you're saying. Yeah, on, on the touch tune jukebox. Yes. Or or go in there and boldly do it while he's bartending. Yeah, stare at him yeah. while you're doing it. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Anyway. Survivor's <laughs> a common thread here. Indeed. Because they also feature, of course, on um, uh, Karate Kid. Yes. Which is kind of funny because somehow... I remember hearing that song all the years and never real, just like never connected the sure. dots. Oh, that's Survivor. Yeah. It should have. It's pretty obvious, but yeah. But you know the one I think of from Karate Kid more than even like that one or the You're the Best Around by uh, Joe Esposito? I think of the one from part two, the Peter Cetera song. So do I. That's the one I go to every time. Well, for one thing, it's the one that holds up the best. Oh, but sure. Yeah. Moment of Truth is the Survivor song that's on the Karate Kid uh, yes. soundtrack. It has a nice, terrible video that just screams, Oh, yep, sure. This was definitely made Ab- that year. It, it is It is the textbook um, 80s uh, you know, soundtrack song with the video and the scenes from the film. I do love when they get inventive about it. Don't just show me scenes from the film. Do like... Um, Simple Minds, you know, don't don't you forget about me. Show it in the TV that's kind of broken and askew off in the corner. You know, sh- show yeah. the movie on that. That's that's thinking. That's creativity. Or weirdly have the members of your band reenact scenes from the movie, yes. as some of them do. Love it. Always good go-to. Love it, love it. Now, here's a great example this next one. Uh, and I know we did. Well, you know, do we need to talk about You're the Best, though? I feel like we do. Yeah, let's Because there's it. actually a story behind that. It was not written for Karate Kid. Right. It was written for Rocky Three. <laughs> it all didn't it, all, all of what we're saying it's almost like they're cousins of each other yeah you know well and i mean if you look at you know karate kid directed by john g avildsen i may be mispronouncing it but you get the point sure. director of the first rocky right so director and producer and right. whatnot you know. and, and what you'll find the more you look at info about this is mm. they're going to borrow from what they've done before or they're going to borrow from the guy who was on this movie with them and they're going to use him again mm. for this it's a very uh it's a tight circle hollywood Mm. especially during this time, and falling into these categories. Of course, one thing that's kind of funny about You're the Best in its own sort of way is that it doesn't actually, like if you listen to the lyrics, it's actually a lot more about Rocky Three than it is about the Karate Kid. <laughs> right. Like it fits and nobody questions it, but then there's like the whole history repeats itself. Wait, what? History, what are you? Right. But, oh, it, it, yeah. but when in your mind, 
when you're thinking because you you can't this would never work in Rocky Three, even though the, the lyrics are definitely geared toward Rocky Three. Yeah, it just wouldn't work. And it I mean, works in Karate Kid, and that is one of those things. And uh, I mentioned we wouldn't touch on Bond themes, but I will just to make this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go back through like the catalogs of various artists, a lot of times you will find like a B side or something that was supposed to be a Bond theme mm-hmm. that. You know, didn't take for whatever. Radiohead has one for Spectre. Uh, Alice Cooper had one for Man with a Golden Gun, right. et cetera. But enough about Bond. Just, right. But the point is, you know, a lot of submissions are kind of thrown up there and not all make the cut. Sure. Uh, boy, speaking of Alice Cooper, I just, that reminds me of something. I'll add it to the list. Go, go on to the next one. Okay. Well, since we're on a uh, little bit of a, actually, we threw Karate Kid in there, but still, blah, blah, off the tails of discussion of Survivor, Rocky, this, that, and the other. Uh, I felt like we must discuss the song It's a Long Road, sung by Dan Hill yes. and written by Jerry Goldsmith for First Blood, right. the first Rambo movie. And it falls into what we talked about a little bit before we started getting into it. Almost to a T. Putting the lyrics to the score. Correct. It's, it's the end of the film. Yes. It is... Um, Rambo finally has surrendered, is being led off um, by Richard Crenna and, and I guess whatever law enforcement were taking him away. Whatever survived his rampage. Yes. yes. Um, um, and yeah, it, it is lyrics put to the score. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that is awesome. And that is one of the things, it's interesting particularly because you know we have a fifth Rambo movie coming up here in a couple of weeks, Very Last soon. Blood. Yep. And it is interesting to see just sort of the transition that Rambo made from... You know, the first one was an adaptation of a book, Mm -hmm. which, you know, the writer, his idea was to bring the Vietnam War home. Yeah. And, you know, the character of Rambo is sympathetic, but at the same time, sort of like the unintentional, to a degree, kind of sort of villain of the piece as far as the book goes. Right. You know, and... That's such a good movie. That was the sort of the intent with the movie, and then, you know, slowly but surely. And the next thing you know, like, when you think big, giant 80s action icon apart from Stallone you think you know Rambo is one of those grand examples because of you know what happened in the later films and I just bumped the table there that'll be fun yeah continue sorry (laughs) (laughs) it is the uh, in all the Rambo movies it's the only thing that's not a score just a score right there's no other songs in the Rambo movies I don't Uh, think actually um We'll get to that eventually, okay. but uh, there is a Frank Stallone one that uh, ends yeah. Rambo First Blood Part 2. How could I forget? Because he had to... He because had it sucked. That's how you <laughs> forget it. You blocked it from your memory. It was a psychological so, defense mechanism. Sir, you will not besmirch the great Frank Stallone. Yeah, well, it's my show. Just did it. <clears throat> Come at me. It, uh, no, but it's it was... I don't know that it's even... Um, necessary the whole dan hill putting the lyrics to the score thing but it definitely falls into the bonus point category so we had to mention it yeah it's and not I mean, great it's not yeah it's yeah. not great it's not a terrible song but it's not there's a reason it wasn't probably nominated for an oscar right. or whatnot right i, I don't like that people give stallone guff for his kind of end monologue by the way like when the, you know he's got no leg i think that's a real kind of re- reaction of a guy who just saw a lot of crap that people don't see on a regular basis over there. Yeah. So we will, this show will support and defend Stallone's acting ability till the end of time. We will hear nothing else. Yeah. 
in all five Rambo movies, even though Absolutely. we haven't seen the fifth one yet Not as yet, of press you, time. You, you know what you're getting into. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be awesome. Oh, yeah. So Demolition Man. This is one I don't feel like enough people know about. Yeah, I have like memories of seeing the video for it. Yes. 93-ish, brown time, yeah, the movie right. dropped. And it's a great movie, too, by the way. Yeah. Now, if I recall, this song, not actually written for this film. It's actually right. a police, was originally a police song, and I think, strangely enough, Grace Jones has a version of it out there somewhere. Yes, I think that's correct. But regardless, thrown together, adapted, and put forth in Demolition Man, which, uh, as you were kind of mentioning, speaking of forgotten, like that's one of those, probably one of the better Stallone movies in tends to get left off a lot of lists mm-hmm. if that makes any sense so yeah i feel like it was that part of his career that people don't like as much or they don't um uh what's the right word he was a bit like hair metal you yeah, know okay. around okay. 90 you know around the time of rocky five mm-hmm. things started to kind of dip right and right. there came a point where stallone was actually in a couple of direct to video movies and then came Rocky Balboa, and then just kind of back up and kind of then leveled off into at least eh, you know what you're getting. So, yeah. right. So uh, to to bring it back to Grace Jones, so Sting wrote the song. Yes. Grace Jones then recorded it in '81, mm-hmm. but when they came when it came back around to uh, 1993, he re-recorded it during his solo career, and. Um, it was over the end credits. Yes. I have very little. I mean, again, I remember Demolition Man. I remember the basic plot, mm-hmm. but I have little in the way of memory of it because I think it's one of, like, mainly saw it around the time it came out. Right. Didn't stick with me either, but. It got kind remember, of this you know. weird small amount of radio, not radio, not even radio play, MTV uh, yeah. uh, rotation. So right. that, yeah, that's how I saw it. Uh, but a good movie, but the song maybe not as, maybe not as memorable. Perhaps. I probably remember the Grace Jones video being on Beavis and Butthead more than I do the actual video that the actors and Sting are in. You took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. And, of course, you know, Grace Jones, my main memory of her is uh, Zula and Conan the Destroyer, which is an, Conan is an entire episode in of itself. But that's, yeah. I think, maybe the one time where, yeah, no, she was awesome in this. And yes. that might have been it. Anyway. Of course, Grace Jones also um, partly responsible for Dolph Lundgren's emergence uh, to the acting world. So we applaud her for that. Yes. Thank you very much. (laughs) We're going to argue about He-Man one of these days. Oh, sure we are. Why did they have to come to Earth anyway? Because they ran out of money, that's why. (laughs) Now, (laughs) this next one, it's a show within itself. The Lost Boys soundtrack. I agree. And maybe one of these days we'll get to it, but mm-hmm. eh, I'll give an abbreviated version here. Right. It has, frankly, it's one of those, I kind of threw it on this list because it has, and I think you'd mentioned this as well, basically, but basically it has too many like iconic songs yes. in it to yes. just pick one and say, oh yeah, that's that's it. You know, like, yes, you have Cry Little Sister, that's the established theme. Right. And yeah, it's a good song. Yeah. But, but you've got Roger Daltrey covering Elton John on this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you also have Echo and the Bunny Men yeah. covering the Doors, right? And you actually Lou Graham's on this, yes. Lost in the Shadows with the Lost Boys being in the parentheses yeah. in the title. Lou Graham being the lead singer, Foreigner, whose right. name I couldn't think of on our last episode because I'm really good sure. in a pinch, I guess. But yeah. in yeah. any case, um, speaking of covers, uh, 
a rather iconic cover in this. Um, I still believe. Yes. To me, this is the song. Yeah, a cover a cover of a song by The Call from one Tim Capello, yeah. the saxophonist for total the, legend. Yeah, the Tim legend. Capello. Yeah, yeah. For Tina, but saxophonist for Tina Turner, I think probably what he's most known for. But you really can't talk about Lost Boys without talking about the greased up muscle man sure. standing on the spa- stage, the, belting uh, out this song and playing the uh, saxophone. The Brutus the Barber Beefcake lookalike who is on stage like he's he's flexing while gripping the saxophone and like just and it's it's and then you throw in the nice rick rude gyrating yes. with it and it's just like and that my friends was the 80s and it's it right falls there, just in one it, one in image one iconic shot yeah and it's another bonus point category in the fact that you can place when the song is played during the film and it's not just the end credits the 80s mantra of the the uh, either the homecoming or prom mm-hmm. dance or the beach concert you yes. know it, it's being played in the movie and it's being played in the movie by the person who actually is performing it on the album as well right tim capello of course th- that scene that you know at nighttime on the beach mm. the f- the fires in the background the whole thing jamie gertz and all you know it, it 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 gets those bonus points even though it doesn't have you know something from the movie for instance the, in the lyrics it gets that that category yeah. of bonus point is hit, and it's perfect. And I will say, I mean, I don't want to discredit the others. Like Lost in the Shadows, you know, plays a fairly iconic scene too. Sure. It has a video, you know, that again references the film. Uh, I think Cry Little Sister seemingly is Gerard McMahon's only real kind of sort of hit, and right. it seems like he re-records it about every five or six years and tries again. And that's an hour and a half concert with one song. Yeah, yeah, right. like doesn't really do much with it. That's kind of that. <laughs> um, I. Can't escape, get away from Lost Boys without mentioning something. Uh, okay, there there are a few terrible sequels to Lost Boys, oh, which yeah. I absolutely don't recommend any of you see. No, they're horrible. However, one funny scene, and this is literally the only good part of the second one, the only good part, is you know it returns to Santa Carla, blah, 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 this, that, and the other, and you see this old, fat, out-of-shape, shirtless saxophone guy doing the whole Tim Capello gimmick. Right. Like, you know, just on a corner with, like, basically like a bucket in front of him or a hat, you know, right. for change. And that's, like, the one funny moment in... Kind of the nod. The movie. Yeah. The right. This is the, this was that guy's life. <laughs> once he got off the roids. Sure. Once he ran out of money, you know, for all that uh, chest um, grease. Right. Yeah. I would love to know what Tim Capello was doing in 2019. Gyrating and playing the saxophone. <laughs> The hell else would he be doing? Well, he was Tina Turner's uh, saxophone player, which we will definitely circle back to that in, yes. in, a, in a while. Um, I just saw, you know, I know she's, I don't know, she doesn't do concerts anymore. She's not even an American citizen anymore. She's over in Switzerland or someplace. Weird. I just, I would love to know what Tim Capella is doing in 2019. Yeah. yeah. I'll and get I'm, to the bottom of it. I'm sure we could figure it out, but sure. yeah, let's not Google live on air for this one just yet. Yeah, we'll leave that one alone. But yeah, uh, sticking in the horror theme, though, uh, brings us to the theme song for Pet Cemetery. Yes. Called, I hope you're sitting down, Pet Cemetery. Yes. Bonus points right there. By the Ramones. Ding, ding, ding. Also, the song is literally, lyrically, just about the whole idea behind Pet Cemetery, yes. which, a brief synopsis, blah, blah, blah. There's this pet cemetery, behind, or there's the cemetery, like a burial ground behind an actual pet cemetery, and if you bury things there, they come back. Not for the better, generally. 
In any case, uh, but there is a story behind that. I know you're something of a Stephen King fan. Have you read Pet Cemetery or no? I have not. Okay. There's actually several repeated references to the Ramones throughout the book. Yeah. I did know that. And yeah, as it turns out, Stephen King's a huge Ramones fan. And I believe that had a lot to do with making this happen. Because you basically, yeah. yeah. Have you heard the well, story? Who, who should we get to do it? The guy, you know, the, sure. the band that's referenced a hundred times in the book. All, All right, right. Let's go. That we talk about throughout. Have you heard the story about like how Marky Ramone, um, he wrote, he wrote a book about his life and he talks about how the song came about. Right. But apparently, with it. apparently, uh, uh, Stephen King does not remember that. Um, so the story goes, uh, they got together at Stephen King's house. Um, he handed Dee Dee Ramone a copy of Pet Cemetery, uh, you know, while they were there. Uh, mm. The same night, Dee Dee announces she's going to leave the band. <laughs> um, Delightful. Right. Um, King, uh, very confused by uh, Marky's retelling, says, we didn't eat at my house. They never even came to my house. Uh, we ate at the one fancy restaurant in Bangor, Maine that they have. Uh, I don't even remember if we talked about Pet Cemetery. I might have said something about a song. The only thing I remember is Marky was the one who was articulate and the other ones really weren't. To be fair to the mem uh, the memory and the telling of the story by Marky Ramone, mm -hmm. um, King had let's say certain personal demons, right? Which um, maybe white powdery ones, let's just say that uh, according to some may or may not have written the books it and Pet Cemetery, right? Maybe more so than the man. Um, so. I think that's a little rough, but yeah. but I mean amongst King's fans, there is sort of a Considered sort of like a that like here's King when he wasn't sober, yeah, and here's King when he was sober, right. and there is a distinct difference in like the writing <laughs> of the two. Not necessarily better or worse, just observable. And so, you know, it's possible he doesn't remember it because it didn't happen. Now it's he, also possible he doesn't remember it because he had done an eight ball and a shot of Jack five right. minutes before that. I don't know. But he also told his publisher to not, he said, didn't happen, but please don't change a word of it because it's like James Stewart and the man who shot Liberty Valance mm. when the truth and legend or an opposition print the legend. Good call. Yes. Yeah. Um, I will say though, uh, the video is great, by the way. I agree, that which so that's another one they used to play on Beavis and Butthead a whole lot. Um, <laughs> I, I do like the song. It, it's strange that, there's a Ramon, a Ramon song out there about Pet Cemetery, right, but right. it's it's a pretty good song. Yeah, I keep it. I have like a Halloween playlist. I keep it on there. Um, yeah. I still hear it from time to time on like various like 80s stations. Well, I think you'd mentioned that you even heard it maybe yes. not too For, long ago. Uh, first yeah. Wave played it, yeah. Nice. I must say, uh, funny, they, uh, in this, or earlier this year, there was a not really a remake, I suppose you could say a readaptation, although it's actually way further away from the source material, but yeah. that's another matter of Pet Cemetery that came out. And at the end of the movie, I remember thinking to myself, well, they've ruined everything else. I wonder if they're going to, and the licks to yeah. a really crappy cover yeah. of Pet Cemetery by a band called Starcrawler that I have never heard of before <laughs> in my life, start playing, and I was like, well, there we go. They completed it. They ruined the story. They ruined the movie. Let's just ruin the song, too. Five seconds into the trailer, I knew this is a bad idea. I was like, what, what are we doing here? Well, it would have been nice, which, again, trailers are a whole other thing, but maybe not spoiling the huge plot divergence that they right. went on right there in the 30-second TV spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, hey, what do I know? 
if you've never seen the music video for the Ramones version, by the way, it's it's just it's it is so absurd. I mean, everything about it is just perfect for the time. Yes, uh, it just it's like we have no budget. Just have people walk around in the background dressed as scary scary ish things, and and we'll have a yeah. It, it's way too the Ramones in a cemetery, <laughs> and now what? That's pretty much it. <clears throat> Considering the the movie and people have seen that have seen the movie know what I'm talking about. It's way too like light and playful in the music video. <laughs> Well, I mean, the song by itself, and which is kind of funny, well, both funny, haha, and funny, just strange, because right. again, the subject matter is like just dead serious. Yeah. Like, it's very bleak. It's one of the more, one of the more horrific Stephen King movies, one of the more horrific Stephen King books, and just mm-hmm. one of the more horrific Stephen King ideas, period. And yeah. I remember when I read, like, it was, it was one that was very hard to read, let alone watch. Now, I will say the remake was hard to watch for a different reason entirely, but that's, that's beside the point. Mm-hmm. But so to have all that and then this weirdly, darkly comic song by the Ramones of all mm-hmm. people, it's like, huh. All right then. Uh, moving along, though. Um, You're going to have to maybe guide me a little more. I, I'll be honest. I've not seen The Crow in many years. I suspect you're not alone in that, unfortunately. Yeah. But I remember you know, you had to go see it at first because Brandon Lee passed away. And that was, hey, you got to go see it. It's, you know, he passed away. It's his last movie, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I remember watching it when it first came out mm-hmm. on VHS. And I've probably not seen it since. Well, here's a funny thing. Um, I remember watching it in the theater, and part of the reason uh, was because back then, and I don't understand why we got away with this either, but you could be 13 years old and just walk up to the ticket no booth one cared. On, yeah, yeah. on a Friday night. Right. Two to the R-rated gore fest, the crow there over there. Oh, right. absolutely, son. Go right on in. Like, my dad's not even here. Huh? Go on in. You, so, you paid your money. i tell you again? Get out of here. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, uh, unfortunately, yeah, Brandon Lee's last movie, uh, and his breakthrough role in a lot of regards, mm-hmm. like, you know, his first big hit. Right. So, yeah, it's unfortunate, but there's a lot of music scattered throughout the first movie and a little bit in the second, um, the second movie itself is not really worth talking about the music. Maybe we'll get to that, but the song that I jumped out to me the most and was written specifically for this film, you know, specifically by a band that I believe was requested, you know, by the writer of the original comic, because a little backstory, the writer of the comic, and I don't want to go into his entire story, but he, um, I believe he was stationed abroad somewhere and his fiance was killed by a drunk driver, which inspired him to write this comic, mm-hmm. which the, the movie's not exactly chipper, but the comic, yeah, man, just to be more bleak and more dark and twisted than that. Right. Throughout, uh, a lot of the chapters are named after songs from various bands, and a lot of the music that he's listening to while he's writing it, various bands. Those right. Among those bands, The Cure, Joy Division, New Order. Uh, there's a handful of others that I'm probably not thinking of, but those are the ones that people know, so we'll just kind of stick with that. And um, so, specifically for this movie, the song Burn was written yeah. and performed by The Cure. Uh, again, you mentioned you hadn't seen it in a while, so I'll remind you of the scene. The one where he actually basically digs himself out of a grave, kind of goes back to his apartment, you know, starts to realize what happened. 
has his freak out, sees the mask, starts painting his face and everything. Burn is the song that plays over that. Okay. Like there's that one lyric, like as he's literally painting his face, just paint your face, the shadows smile. Mm-hmm. So, and the cure, that was basically a B side. I mean, it was on that album, obviously, but you know, it's like not one that was on one of their albums and they didn't even really start playing it live until a little under 10 years ago. I believe they started breaking it out. The last concert I was at, they actually played it and I was like, okay, finally. Right. Um, but like I said, I, if I recall, you know, James O'Barr, you know, specifically wanted a handful of bands in the movie because as far as he's concerned, in some regards, they kind of helped him write this. And that right. Was, that and was, the cure would definitely be one of those. Correct. Uh, you also have a cover of dead souls by joy division, uh, which is played by nine inch nails in the movie for pretty much the same reason I just said. There is a legend about it. Now, I don't know whether or not this is true. It's just the story I've heard that the reason you have the Nine Inch Nails cover is because it was cheaper to pay Trent Reznor to record a cover of Dead Souls by Joy Division <laughs> than it was to pay for the rights to the song Dead Souls right. by Joy Division outright. Right. Seems possible. Sure. Or believable, at least, but don't know. In the second movie, which, again, is fairly unremarkable, there's also a couple other covers that are kind of rearranged in such a way that they weirdly kind of fit the whole crow aesthetic, but they're not really, you know, songs that you wouldn't expect that actually kind of work. Uh, one of them is gold dust woman by hole. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that one or not. Oh, I do. Yeah. I love, yeah, yeah. love the song. I don't think there's much of a story behind that one. Just it, you know, it fits the crow aesthetic pretty well. And it's a song that if you've heard the original is like, Hmm. Right. Okay. It's not one I would have picked. Right. Uh, for a more glaring example, possibly the most glaring, exa- you know what? Actually I'll save that one for last. Okay. Um, there's an, also a cover in there by Bush of In a Lonely Place, which is a Joy Division story. And I suspect if the Trent Reznor story is true, that also explains Bush doing a cover of a New Order song. Probably the same sort of, right. it'll cost us a fraction of our budget if we actually, so yeah, well, it's not. Like I said, I'm not sure. It's just a guess. It's all, I mean, it could also just been the fact that they're popular at the time, but who's right. to say? The most glaring of covers in that movie uh, would be Boogeyman by White Zombie. Mm-hmm. And Wait, what year did The Crow come out? The first one? Yeah. 93. Okay. This is the sequel, which the sequel came out. Talking okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I believe in 96. No, I think it was 97. I think 97 was the second one came out. You might want to double check that. But in any case... So, as I was saying, there's a cover of the song Boogeyman uh, by White Zombie. Boogeyman made famous by, unfortunately, Casey and the Sunshine Band. Nice. So, of all the possible bands to cover Casey and the Sunshine Band, White Zombie. It, it just seems a perfect choice. I don't know what you mean. That's not good. It's it's. I'm being totally facetious there. That that's very. That is a, what they call a stretch. Yes. I I, yeah. I understand sarcasm. Yeah. I'm just. <laughs> I'm still over here marveling at the fact they even did it. That they even attempted it. Right. Yeah. And I'll say this. I like the white zombie version better. I for what that's worth. Sure. Of course. I hate Casey and well, Sunshine that, Band. So there we go. Not, right. Right. A little bit of a sidetrack here, but uh, Rob Zombie, since he knocked off with music and started making movies. Yeah. His movies are actually so bad, they've made me pretty much just like his music, too. <laughs> because it's like, I can't hear something that he did without thinking, oh, that's right, you screwed up Halloween. Well, further screwed up Halloween. I, I couldn't, I, I don't know that I've ever seen his Halloween adaptations. I, I don't know if, I just don't know if I can do it. 
I pretty much, when I figured out what they were going to do, refused. I was like, nope, not yeah. wasting my time with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, you're going to explain Michael Myers? Cool, you've screwed the whole thing up. Love Michael McDowell, though. Which, not granted, yeah, I can't talk. Granted, <laughs> that is an entire episode in and to itself. Just sure. But unfortunately, you know, even hearing this song, it's like, oh, cool. Yeah, you remind me that he's a filmmaker now. Yeah. And for that, I hate you. <laughs> Uh, moving on, and I'll leave this one up to you. Pretty in Pink by the Psychedelic Furs. Oh yeah, uh, the so they wrote the movie around the song. The song Molly Ringwald brings it to John Hughes, and John Hughes is, literally wrote the movie around the song. Problem is, the Psychedelic Furs don't think he really got it right. Um, the song was about a a promiscuous girl who thinks it's really cool to you know sleep around and thinks everybody really likes her, but they don't. She she's being used, right? And so, so that's the so point the of the flat song. out opposite of the movie yes, that yes. is called Pretty in Pink. Molly Ringwald was a fan, brought it to John Hughes. He loved it too. Wrote the whole movie around the song. Except he 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 might have missed the mark, but the song's very good. It's a great song and it's a great movie. So you know, it's one of those where yeah, okay, maybe it wasn't in the spirit of things, ah, but it worked out. That sort of reminds me. I'll make this very quick, but a couple friends of mine got married around ten years ago mm-hmm. and decided to go the unconventional route. I'm finishing up and walking up instead of playing the regular music. They decided to play uh, the song "Special" by Better Than Ezra. Mm-hmm. And so the notes hit and, yes, you know, I'm yes. up there as a groomsman and just kind of leaned over. I was like, that's a breakup song. What the hell are they doing? <laughs> yeah, but it sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Just walk down to your, you know, walk down the aisle of a breakup <laughs> song. What what go wrong? How could that sure. backfire? Anyway. Um, um, so that's a great soundtrack, too. The whole thing, the whole Pretty in Pink soundtrack is phenomenal. Yeah. I actually... After revisiting Pretty in Pink, probably, mm-hmm. uh, let's say three, four years ago or something, went looking for the soundtrack on one of the streaming services mm-hmm. of the time or whatnot. And after getting it, realized that I pretty much owned almost every single song that was on it. Yeah. Like, just on its own, like, let alone. Right. And and, and yeah. some of the, the ones that were in the movie but didn't make, like, the actual album soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the whole thing. Just you, you, you got NXS on there. You got New Order mm. in, in the movie we're talking about, not necessarily on the yeah. soundtrack. And some of the more popular New Order songs, right. yeah, or, you know, like scattered throughout. But yeah, Echo and the Bunnymen mm. are, are on there, of course, Psychedelic Furs, um, but also uh, OMD. Mm. But yeah, so basically, not only did I own the ones that were officially on the soundtrack, I also own the ones that were just in the movie that weren't on the soundtrack, right. which is a lot of what you kicked out there. But yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm trying to pull up to see the ones that actually made. The album because the album itself is like ten songs, I think. Of course, but Pretty in Pink being the obvious choice because it, it hits the box of having the the name of the movie and the title. Indeed, but it's a ten. Yeah, it, the the ten songs that made the actual CD itself. OMD, Suzanne Vega's on there. In Excess, Psychedelic Furs, New Order, um, Echo and the Bunnymen, and the Smiths all on there. That's what is, pretty solid. What's the Smith song? Just curious. The Smith song is uh, please, please, please let me. Get what? Uh, it's a long title. You've heard this song. Yeah. Please, please, please let me get what I want. I actually also hear it playing in the background there right now. Go. And this will be our last episode because Hester's <laughs> going to get us sued by Morrissey. All um, right. I'll fight Morrissey. If I, I just, it's so overrated. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. 
Having said that, it's funny you mentioned that because there's a cover of that song, calling an audible here, but regardless, there's a cover of that song by the name of the band escapes me at the moment. The band that did Life in a Northern Town. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, hey, Dream Academy, That's I think. It. Okay. They did a cover of that particular song, which is okay. the library sequence in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes. Yeah. Their version of that song, like just the instrumental, is what's playing over that. Yes. And I didn't figure that out until about a year ago. I think there's all kinds of Easter eggs like that. Yeah. E- even people Particularly like Particularly with John Hughes movies. Yes, so, yes. Sorry, go ahead. People like us who even like are more in tune with all that, I think we spot things all the time that we didn't know about. Right. So, yeah, that's that's I love stuff like that. I love that I don't know all of that stuff is out there either. Mm. I love when I find when I stumble upon something like that. Which actually will I'll cover this when we get to a certain song that actually forces it. You know what? Hell with it. I'll call an audible. Go Talk for about it. it now. Um, there's a song from the soundtrack of the lost highway called I by the mm-hmm. Smashing Pumpkins. Okay. It's one of my personal favorite Smashing Pumpkins songs. Uh, I actually saw them a couple weeks ago. They play it now judging from the reaction i'm not alone in that sentiment okay and it was off the lost highway soundtrack uh few good bands of the era particularly were on there you had marilyn manson with a cover of i put a spell on you yeah. which was one of those songs that you heard in a lot of trailers a lot of times I think it was a six sense trailer off the top of my head okay. um you had the you were uh, yeah you had the perfect drug by uh nine inch nails mm-hmm. And then again, you had I by the Smashing Pumpkins. And there's others. Those are just kind of three that stuck out to me. But I was actually, I didn't see uh, Lost Highway when it came out. And I have a rather, uh, shall we say, rather strong opinions on David Lynch, which is to say that there are two types of people in the world. People that don't get David Lynch movies and people that lie about it and <laughs> claim to. And that's that's basically it. I'm in a third category of people yeah. who have never tried to uh, get David Lynch <laughs> I know who he is and I and I, I know but I, I just I, I, sometimes I just don't need to think when I watch a movie oh know? to be fair uh, oh, no, no no amount of thinking will save you <laughs> while watching a David Lynch movie it'll just twist your brain inside out right. trying to make it make sense but right. to be fair a lot of the people that claim to get it and claim to love it haven't seen it either right that's that's the beauty of it that's how this all goes sure. but Back to the point of the matter with the song I, and this just kind of a little bit of a trip down memory lane. Um, the first time I remember hearing that song was in a nightclub in Las Vegas, Nevada, circa 2003. Okay. And I was a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan. Yeah. And I had never heard this song in my freaking life. I don't know. if Would I know it if I heard it? Good question. I like uh, Smashing Pumpkins. We can play it off air here okay. in a little bit. I don't want Billy Corgan coming after us, sure, too. Sure. I mean, I, granted, if it comes down to fisticuffs, I think we can take more. Uh, well, you and I in a tag team match. He can take a bump. We know that. We'll hit him with the heart attack. <laughs> He'll never come back from it. Put him in the sharpshooter. Yeah. Anyway, um, tell you what. I'll put him in the sharpshooter. You put Morrissey in the crossface in there. Now now we've got a, now we got us a match. Now we're good. That said, so like I said, circa 2003, I hear this song. I know it's the Smashing Pumpkins or... For certain, it's Billy Corgan. Right. And like, what is this and why have I never heard this song? So I, you know, came back to town from that trip, immediately go over to the house of a friend of mine, Cameron, who may or may not make an appearance on one of these shows later on down the line. Yep. 
And he also was a huge Smashing Pumpkins aficionado. It was basically described the song to him. It was like, what song is this? And he was like, was it off a door? I was like, no. Was Melancholy, it, right? Yeah. Or, uh, he asked if it was off Melancholy. No. Was it off? Yeah. Basically made our way through seemingly just about every single B-side that sounded somewhat electronic. No, 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 no. Yeah. Nine months go by. Uh, I am in another nightclub in Longview, Texas. If you ever get a chance to go to a nightclub in Longview, Texas, don't. So and it was just the same as Las Vegas, though. Yeah, 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 no. Night and day, I mean, yeah, almost identical. Who would have thought? Um, anyway, that said, song starts playing again. I remember talking to a girl all the time, and she's like, oh, I love this song. I was like, you know this song? Yeah. Awesome. What is this song? And that's how I found out. And I bring that up because this is how things were just, you know, even in this century when if you heard a song, you just had to wonder about it. You had to go hunting. You had to go dig it up. You right. had to oh, yeah. happen to bump into someone nine months later who happened to know it and happened to tell you. Sure. Whereas it's like today you hear a song, oh, yeah, ask Siri to name that tune or hit Shazam or something, and just boom, right. you have the song immediately. And, yeah, it, I don't know. It, it, it is amazing how far technology has come in just such a short amount of time. Sure. Anyway, yeah, that has absolutely nothing to do with theme song, really, <laughs> but... Just um, saying. That's okay. You know, sometimes you have to, uh, sometimes something's in your mind. You don't want to forget about it. You can bring it up. Mm, yeah. No issue with that at all. So, um, so I, I want to bring up Oingo Boingo. By all means, bring up Oingo Boingo. Because they are, to me, the underrated official, like, of these, not necessarily hitting the criteria of, of the song title, although, of course, they have weird science. Mm-hmm. But they are in a bunch of movies, either their their songs or them they themselves performing, right? Let alone the fact that lead singer Danny Elfman himself Com- the, is uh, a famous composer, the, but, a composer yes. for many movie scores. Which I actually, Bongo Bongo is one of those bands that I didn't realize I knew until like kind of looking back, like oh, like to your point, sure, yeah, you know, oh, that was Bongo, you know. So Just noticing all these wrong go boingo, but yeah, continue. Fa- they're in fa- the, their music is in Fast Times Ridgemont High, Sixteen mm-hmm. Candles, Bachelor Party, Weird Science, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. Yeah, didn't see that one coming. Back to School, which is of course they appear in as themselves playing in the in the college bar. Was that uh, the Rodney Dangerfield? It was. Yeah, Fantastic. that had Sam Kennison as the yes. insane the history, history teacher yes. slash Vietnam vet. Yes. That was a, one of his finer moments yes it was anyway. uh, they are in the movie as themselves as the band and the there is also a dead man's party that's that it's on that soundtrack it's yeah. on that music there's a music video where right angelfield and the scenes mm-hmm. and everything uh teen wolf 2 summer school midnight run ghostbusters 2 adventures of ford fairlane and donnie darko all have oingo boingo in their music is or in, and i feel like all of those movies really tie back to to what we're talking about and it tops it all off, of course, with Weird Science, because that is the song Weird Science from the movie Weird Science. Yeah, that's actually straight from... Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's also one of the cases who did go on to have yeah. a famous career as a composer to the point that probably there's a sizable amount of people out there that don't 
know necessarily what Oingo Boingo is or that he was a part of it. Yeah. They just know Danny Elfman, the composer. They might know he the but, guy yeah. from Nightmare Before Christmas, or they might know, because he is Jack Skellington. Yes. Yeah, the singer, Chris, yes. Yeah, Chris Sarandon does the non-singing parts, but you remember the singing parts. Right. He is, it's I, a musical. Yeah, so, yeah. right. So, uh, no, big shout out to Oingo Boingo and Danny Elfman, because they... Um, he is not, you know, when I think of, of people that I tie in with movie music, I mean, he's not, he's probably in that, that, that next level. No, he's not John Williams. John Williams is in a class by himself. But Danny Elfman is right there in that next wave of people because of Kind just, of the, yeah, the second tier kind yeah, of. And yeah, and not only from the score work, but also from Oingo Boingo's music being featured in so many of these movies and the movies that we love. You know? Right. So big shout out to them. You could you have to talk about them when you're talking about this. Um, so we can go back. Or do you want to? Um, let's see. I lost my place here. I feel like Ghostbusters would be okay. something to bring up because, well, Hope You're Sitting Down has a song from it titled Ghostbusters. Yes, by and Ray Parker Jr. The music video. Indeed. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, one it, of the high points of the MTV era, basically. Yeah, yes, it is. Uh, I, I I got in trouble by Facebook for posting a, a, a me, me filming the music video with my phone from MTV Classic and just wanting to tell people how amazing it was. Facebook couldn't even allow me to do that. That's there is, you know, that's a whole other story. <sighs> right. Just it drives me crazy. Um, anyway, back to the back to positives. Uh, the cameos at the end of the video. Well, even throughout the video, I know they kind of all right. Let's throw everybody in at the end of the video because we, you know, we only got four minutes here. Right. But uh, everything about the music video is perfect. It's perfect for the time. It's not just them playing music either. It's the the I love so much the '80s music videos where it starts out almost as a movie. Like it, it, there's a there's a story there, right? Yeah. The girl walks into the room with like the neon furniture, <laughs> the whole deal. Yeah. And like there's a neon phone. There's people hiding out behind. Oh, oh, and here goes Ray Parker Jr. just emerging from the wall, and he's a ghost. You can yeah. you can kind of see through him. It is it, something of a shame that like music videos as a viable medium have kind of like fallen off right, the radar in right. later years, but. Anyway, continue on. Sure, and then you got Slimer. You know, you got scenes from the movie, kind of recreations from the movie um, amongst the images. Uh, it's the cameos, though. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up a definitive list of all the cameos that appear in in the in the music video. Mm. Okay, uh, Chevy Chase, Irene Cara, John Candy, Melissa Gilbert, Jeffrey Tambor, George Went, Al Franken, Danny DeVito, Carly Simon, Peter Falk, Terry Gar. Um, it, it wasn't necessary to have any of those people in this music video because none of the people are actually in the movie. Yeah. However, it's what makes this stuff so much fun for me. And like, so just because the eighties were just such a off the wall time, you know, like to have all those people, uh, from the eighties, popular eighties figures, whether it be movie, music, TV, uh, Norm from cheers and the ghostbusters video. There's just something so great about that. Yeah. Didn't you, you mentioned John Candy was in there too, right? He was. Which is, yeah. You know, ironically, John Candy was originally supposed to play the part that Rick Moranis played in the movie. Yes. So, nice little, what uh, could have uh, been there, I suppose. That is such a weird visual to think about, though. I know. Because Rick Moranis, he, he's tall. Yeah. He John Candy, I mean, pretty I much John embodies Candy, that character. Like, right. But, uh, sorry, I'm, someone's asking about pizza order, so continue over there. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> no problem. 
Tell them extra pepperoni. Sure. Uh, one interesting story, and unfortunately this isn't entirely positive, but here it goes. Apparently who they sought out initially to do the Ghostbusters theme uh-huh. was Huey Lewis in the news. Okay, so I didn't realize that was part of the story. I knew, of course, about the lawsuit and all that. Which reminds me of something else we should maybe cover at some point, but maybe not this episode, American Psycho's music. Anyway, back to that, though. Um, and you know, for whatever reason, he couldn't do it or wouldn't do it, and so they did the song. Yeah. Now, the song Ghostbusters sounds mm, relatively similar to the song uh, I Want a New Drug by right. Huey Lewis. Right. And this led to a lawsuit over the, basically him accusing them of ripping off his song, calling it Ghostbusters and throwing it out there. Yeah. And I believe it resolved with him being on the winning side of it, but I don't know like all the finer details. I, I remember know. Huey Lewis won the won the case. I, yeah, yeah. But copyright law is an interesting thing to right. say the least. Sure. So I was going to say that's basically the one last thing I have to contribute on that. I think you basically said everything there is to say <laughs> i can go for hours about the the, mm-hmm. the music video uh of for ghostbusters so yeah it's good to stop me sometimes here's um here's a list of four that i have absolutely nothing to actually i've got something to say about one okay okay i've got something to say about two um here, here's a list of four that fall under this category though right. nine to five by dolly parton sure the way we were by barbara streisand <laughs> i'll let you deal with that <laughs> Don't you put that evil on me. <laughs> Endless Love by Lionel Richie yeah. and Diana Ross. That might even be more uh, because that's uh, Happy Gilmore, right? I was, well, that's, thank you for stepping right on my point. There, there you yep, go. But, <laughs> Sorry, that's what I do here. And Flash Dance, What a yeah. Feeling by, by Irene Kara, who's yeah. in the Ghostbusters video. <laughs> nice. <laughs> anyway, we'll loop back to it. If you have something to say on a couple of those, fine. The I'm, sad I'm thing totally is fine like for it. nine to five, my biggest memory of it is it being in Deadpool too, as he's going around massacring people <laughs> and endless love, as you were saying, the happy Gilmore where they're in like the skating rink and whatever. Yes. And it just cuts like the dude who set the whole thing up, like just lip syncing the whole thing. Yes. Like that's, yes, those are my primary mo- like memories associated with right. that. Um, I have nothing to say about the way we were. Nothing. nothing no, I'm, I'm Other totally than yeah. it is one of my mom's favorite songs. That's that's oh, it. Sure. Shout Got out that. to her. Yeah. There you go. Shout out to mom. If not for her, we wouldn't be here doing this because <laughs> I would not exist. Um, Flashdance is one of those. I, I think Flashdance is another one of those. Like the song is probably far more memorable than the movie. Kind of maybe depending on who Two you're songs. talking to. Huh? Two songs are more memorable than the movie. Yeah, what a feeling in uh, Maniac too, right? Actually, yes, that's right. But and to be fair, if you've ever seen the movie Flashdance, there's a reason why. It's because Flashdance is a horrible movie. Yes, it's not just god awful. Yeah, um, you know the story behind Maniac. It was supposed to be for a slasher flick. Makes sense. Yeah, in a twisted sort of way. Yeah, but yeah, no, I did not. And and it was tweaked, altered, whatever, and, and used for uh, uh, Flashdance instead. Perfect, as one does. Yeah. Anyway, so. Boy, does that movie suck. <laughs> We're very positive here on All Talk. Um, moving along, and I figure you might have something to say about this. Sure. Footloose by Kenny Loggins. Ah, yes. Go nuts. So not only Footloose, but Kenny Loggins, we owe him so much because he's the godfather of this whole thing. Uh, not necessarily the songs being titled after the movie, though this one is. So this one has to almost be out in front as the leader 
because it is actually named after the movie Flash, uh, Flash of Jesus, Footloose. Um, I was going to say, that would have taken a very strange <laughs> turn if, in fact, Footloose had been the theme song for the movie Flashdance. But anyway, go ahead. Um, I, 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 that's another one where I, I was, oh gosh, how, what did, Footloose came out when, when 80, whatever. 80 something. Yeah. And, I think so I was too young to. Hell I, I was too young to remember it when it initially came out. I've only seen it a couple of times recently. You know, since. Right. Uh, I remember, of course, the the big tractor, like duel. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I remember Chris Penn being a part of it, but I remember the song yeah. way more. And my my primary memory of it is the overall plot, which was something like small town. Yeah, they hate dancing. Y- right, yeah. Then. Right. The yeah. Which, as a uh, person who went to a certain Baptist university not far from here, um, <laughs> I, I can kind of relate to that. Sure. But, yeah. I But, like I said, didn't really grow up with the movie. And, again, a case of song, at least for me. Like, the song I remember a lot better than I remember the movie. Anyway. Yep. That may be his only bonus point song because it is the title of the movie. But when you talk about him, I mean, come on, Caddyshack. Uh, you talk about Top Gun. I was about to say. Yeah. Um, now, Danger Zone doesn't have the lyrics that are necessarily associated with Top Gun, but it's but still a very big you, part of the. Sure, you know what? Yeah, you know where you have that's like from. the two Top Gun songs. You have that one, and I don't know the name of it, but you know what I'm talking. You about. You also have the score. The score is really good from that one too. Mm, um, yeah. But that's. Um, Take My Breath Away by Berlin. That's another ah, one there. Ah, yes, yes. You, you have got the cheat trick song, Mighty Wings, which Mighty Wings gets bonus points mm. because there is a lyric in Mighty Wings that mentions there being no points for second place. I think nice. it says no points for second best. But from the movie, of course, you get, mm. the, you get the bonus points for that. Yeah. Kenny Loggins also on Rocky Four soundtrack. Kenny Loggins also on the Over the Top soundtrack. Kenny Loggins even on the Caddyshack 2 soundtrack. You guys want to run from Caddyshack 2? Kenny Loggins, I'm right in there. I'm the godfather of movie soundtracks. I'm not going anywhere. Stallone literally made a movie about an arm wrestling truck driver. (laughs) This was the 80s, children. And for two hours, we could discuss it if we wanted to. Because I love it that much. Yeah. He also actually did one about pro wrestling that escapes a lot of people, Paradise Alley. Oh, right. Yeah. That's one that not a lot of people have seen. Yeah, that's the right. part I find kind of funny about that is it's written under sort of the, I guess from the point of view that professional wrestling is a legitimate contest and yep. not predetermined. Yep. But again, we can cover that one later. Just throwing it out there. But seemingly, no matter what it was, chances are Stallone wrote a script about it. Most likely. Um, from there, and I think we can both actually have something to say about this one goonies are good enough by cindy lopper i think this one escapes people's memory a lot hmm interesting it's play, because it's played in the movie i remember not that only part. that the video game the video game it's playing over it the entire yeah. time like just a, an eight bit <laughs> version of it but still like so yeah sorry go ahead. no you're good um i was that I'm trying to remember it. I'm, I'm pulling up the music video. I was trying to remember it before I did. Uh, it's a rather long music video. Um, it was one of those, like you said, back when they actually oh, made it. Oh, yeah. After, there, like, there's a whole story before the music even kicks in, I think, in this one. Right. Um, so were there wrestlers in this one as well, in this music video? I think there were. I believe that might have been, now that you mentioned it, the beginning of the whole rock and wrestling. Uh-huh. Or actually, I might be thinking of a different one, but it oh, might have had Lou Albano in it. There's and- Classy Freddie Blassie and, and Roddy Piper right here. In Boom. this music video for the Goonies, Iron Cheek. 
<laughs> this is fantastic. I don't know how this is this music video. Like I don't know. Why I don't talk about this all the time because you've got Cindy Lauper. There's Captain Lou. There's Freddie Blassie. There's Piper. There's Sheik. Mm-hmm. Um, there's somebody over here that's kind of blocked off who I know is a wrestler. I just can't see his face. Uh, there are. Uh, this is so good. This is so everything that we love in one music video. Yeah. There's Nikita Koloff. Just uh, that's so good. Please get to a computer and watch the Goonies Are Good Enough music video. I'm not sure what it has to do with the Goonies, but it's in the title and it's played in the movie, so there's bonus points there. Yeah. But the entire music video is pro wrestling. So, in a nutshell, Cindy Lauper created the uh, yeah. the 80s wrestling boom. Uh, not Hogan, the, not McMahon, her. And the second part of the lying. video, here come the kids. Oh. Here comes Thanos. Here comes Rudy. Here comes Short Round. Here comes Corey Feldman. I'm sorry. Did you just say, and I quote, here comes Thanos. Yeah, there he is right there. Awesome. Or it's, here comes Cable, depending on which Marvel uh, Universe. Oh, so right. true. Anyway, continue. But yeah, there are, here come the kids. So the second part of the music video, we get this, the scenes from the movie. Uh, this, this might be, this might have moved up into the top. Just the music video alone. And the bonus point factor for being named after the movie. One, one final question on that video that I just must know. Is there um, filmic evidence of the truffle shuffle? I No. He's oh. in there, but I don't... Now, they might have shown the clip at one point. I've kind of skipped through. But we now have the Iron Sheik dressed as a pirate. Perfect. Uh, we have uh, Piper... And the kids fighting, you know, mystical pirate ghost forces. Uh, this this may be the most perfect thing that's ever created. I, I think I think we've located that. I don't know why we don't talk about this more. This almost sounds more entertaining than the movie, and I love the movie. <laughs> I love the movie too. Jesus. <laughs> anyway. So go home and watch that immediately. Yeah, I'll watch it in the car. <laughs> anyway, uh, that leads me to after your long talk of Kenny Loggins. Yes. I, can't help but think uh, you know another band that was fairly synonymous with a handful of soundtracks oh yeah and in a lot of cases again outperforming said soundtracks was of course queen yeah and i figured i would let you take it with this one and i could pick up the next one so um (laughs) the fact that they did the entire soundtrack to flash gordon is unmist i can't begin to explain to you how amazing that is they did the whole thing. The whole thing is their work. I love that it's in the like amongst the opening credits soundtrack by Queen. Yeah, like, like no, seriously, one of Queen's yes. albums is the soundtrack to Flash Gordon. <laughs> and of course, there is the you know the Flash's theme, you know, Flash, ah, the whole thing. Yeah, but it's the hero. The hero is the end made credits. famous yet again by Ted. Yes, but, uh, sorry, I can't ahead. tell you how happy that made me seeing Ted. You guys party because the whole theater. You know, we're we're younger people. Yeah, I forget what year that came out, but uh, 2012, I yeah. believe. But so the whole theater is full of younger people, and I'm you know, I'm sitting there. Okay, it's fine, funny parts. That's good. When Sam Jones came on the screen and they started playing the Flash music, I've never been happier in my life. So I, I like leapt to my feet almost. I was like, I cannot believe they got him to do this. I cannot believe they're playing this song. I thank you so much for this. And they play the hero. In the movie. Yeah. Uh, the, the actual song, The Hero, which is the best thing on the whole album. And, oh, it's so fantastic. And Flash Gordon, people that know me know the place in my heart that exists for the movie Flash Gordon. The fact that I got to meet Sam Jones a couple of years ago is a highlight of, of, of my existence. And so the fact that they used that in Ted and I was, it was, it just made the whole thing for me. Uh, the whole soundtrack is phenomenal. 
actually yeah it kind of sounds the same but who cares every time everything is great i met him that year too now that you mention it yeah yeah he was cool oh um, he, he was a great guy yeah but their songs it's not just flash gordon i mean their songs are used in everything right and uh, of which, course the bonus points come for name of the song flash but the whole thing but it's kind of you're kind of cheating in that point because they wrote mm-hmm. the soundtrack themselves having said that uh that leads me to my submission on that one mm-hmm. which is uh the soundtrack of the movie Highlander, and not just the first one. This actually goes throughout, goes through the series, goes through other movies, etc. But and they had a good part of that sound. The first they wrote at least half the songs, right, or maybe all the songs. Yeah, yeah. and this is not a case where they actually in the first movie is pretty much all of them. Uh, yeah. Now this is not one of the cases where if you pick up Highlander the album, it's by Queen. They right. had a an actual album called A Kind of Magic. Yes. But at least somewhere around five, six songs on that album all throughout this movie. Yeah. Uh, the two most iconic examples probably are Princes of the Universe, which is the Highlander theme in general. Yeah. And Who Wants to Live Forever, which is yes. probably so quietly one of their bigger hits and probably more memorable than this song or this movie or possibly even this franchise. Yeah. To the point that it was actually later used in Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes. And I was thinking about it when I heard that. I was like, I wonder how many people now are going to know that song more because of this and just go through life never having any idea that there was a movie called Highlander where a guy from Belgium (laughs) played a Scotsman, (laughs) a guy from Scotland played a Spaniard, and a guy from America played a Russian. It's so good. The first one's so good. You cannot die, McLeod. Yes. And the Queen, but it's not as good without Queen's involvement. Oh, God, Without no. question. No. And there are songs, of course, that reference plot yeah. themes and, and the movie, you know, so it's Don't not Don't lose just, your head. Yes. Uh, give me the prize. Who wants to live know. forever. No man can be my equal. I am immortal. The whole thing. Like, it's... Yeah. It's so good. And again, one of those cases where you ask me, all those songs definitely hold up a lot better than most things involving Highlander, Mm -hmm. which I hate to say because I love Highlander, but I guess you could say maybe didn't age quite as well as maybe it could have. I don't know what the last unicorn is. You don't? No. What is that? Who hurt you? What is it? It's a movie. Well, I get that. It's based on a book called The Last Unicorn. Oh, well, they're consistent. Yeah. Who would have thought? Right. I don't Um, know what that is, though. Uh, I feel like I'd at least have heard of something like that, but I don't know what that is. It was a cartoon. It was, uh, if I'm not mistaken. About a unicorn? No, it was about dragons mostly. Christopher Um, Lee has a voice in this. Well, never mind. I'm in now. And Jeff Bridges. There you go. 1982. um, Wow. I'm now having trouble remembering who plays the bloody unicorn. Woody Allen's. Mia Farrow. There we go. Yeah. um, It was one of those... I don't know how big of a hit it was as far as movies go. Uh, Apparently not a big enough hit for Adam Hester to have seen it. I've never heard it. Yeah. uh, Something I basically grew up with. Okay. And it was, I guess, one of the few movies that came out from that time that basically wasn't Don Bluth and wasn't Disney that actually left any kind of an impression. Uh, Pretty good in its own right. I think it's fairly well remembered by people not named Adam Hester. It did a massive $6.5 million at the box office. (laughs) What was the year again, though? 1982. I'm just saying. Inflation. I, sure. That's that's worth a good maybe... Might even be in double digits now. Maybe 12 million. 
<laughs> but listen to the, in, the in voice lineup. Though. Yeah, Alan Arkin, Jeff Bridges, Mia Farrow, mm. Robert Klein, Angela Lansbury, Christopher Lee. Not bad. But I think it was one of those cases where most of the people who saw it probably saw it on video. Yeah. Certainly, where oh, I saw sure. it. Oh, sure. And yeah. so that's probably why the people you have that are somewhat of an audience for it. Probably none of us saw it in the theater. I right. was probably when it came out. I don't think I was yet two years old. So there right. we go. But it was kind of interesting, uh, which, I mean, it has like a score and everything, but I would, you know, as we're kind of going through thinking of all these, I was like, actually, yeah, that checks all the boxes. It's a song. It's by a real band. Mm -hmm. It's about the subject of the movie. Right. And it incorporates the score. And, you know, uh, if you like America, not a bad song. Sure. The band, not the country. You're going to feel like a dork listening to a song called The Last Unicorn. Right. I still like it, but <laughs> every yeah, single time... It's there like there's no a part of me that's like, yep, now I'm listening to this. There's no judgment passed here, sir. Like hell, there ain't. Anyway. Well, as uh, far as you know, anyway. Yeah. So I didn't, you brought this to my attention, and I honestly can't remember if I knew about this or if it was the first time I'd heard about it. I feel like maybe I've seen the video before, but so much of like the Hellraiser movies are, they just look like 80s kind of metal videos anyway. Um, Outsize of it, yeah. Yeah, Motorhead. Yes. And not for Hellraiser, but Hellraiser 3. Hell on Earth, I believe. <laughs> these, uh, yeah. Which um, I think for most people, that's where you would basically say Hellraiser started to go off the rails. Sure. I would argue it started to go off the rails in part two. Part two is not good. No. It's right. like one thing that's always bothered me is, is like the, for lack of a better term, can't stay consistent with their mythology, yeah. which actually is a Highlander problem too, but that's beside the point. Yeah. Which uh, Highlander is a different rant for a different day, but to the point about Hellraiser, though, yeah, like you said, this came about as part three. Now, the song actually didn't start as a song I think necessarily meant for the movie. It was written by Ozzy Osbourne, Zach Wilde, and Lemmy from yep. Motorhead, and is actually on Ozzy Osbourne's album No More Tears. Mm -hmm. Or, well, okay, I know it's on it as of like right now. I, I don't know if it was always on it and just not released as a single, or if it's like a B side they threw on later, but mm -hmm. you know, that was. Originally, it was done. And this version, if I'm not mistaken, lyrics changed a bit, maybe to more somewhat reflect whatever in the world is going on in Hellraiser. The video, uh, and this is another one, like, kind of to your point, I'm sure I've heard it. I'm sure I've seen that video. I've definitely seen Hellraiser 3, yeah. and it just kind of, like, escaped my mind. And, you know, I was kind of looking around about it. It just kind of fell on my lap one day and was like, this fits. Okay, let's go see the video. Oh, right. cool. It's Lemmy playing cards with Pinhead. Right. This is just great. Interaction between the, the artist and the actor, the main focal point of the movie. Correct. Bonus points right there. Uh, the fact that Pinhead is all throughout this video and not just clips of the movie, but actual Pinhead yeah. playing a part in the music video. Mm. Big time bonus points. Um and this is another way, it's not hair metal in 1993, but right. it's metal in 1993. Right. You know, so, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is actually a really good song. Unfortunately, it's a really good song made for, eh, kind of a crappy movie. Sure. But that's beside the point. Uh, you know, you, yeah. you, you got to have that sometimes. Like uh, the next one we talk about, I think, may falls right in that category as well. Oh, dear. Yeah. I'll let you bring this one up. <sighs> Or do you want me to? I'll, I do no, have, no, I'll do it. I have I'll, seen them play this live. My God. Yeah. Which you can get to, but okay, here goes. From A Nightmare on Elm Street, part three, The Dream Warriors, yes. comes the song, 
Dream Warriors. <laughs> Bonus by points. By Dokken. Yes. Go. <laughs> I, the music video, obviously. Uh, uh, yes. it, it does everything that we've kind of noted. Freddy is in it. Yes. Scenes from the movie. The band, for some reason. It is, but, yeah. and it's definitely hair metal, of course. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the Arquettes is in, is in this. Uh, Patricia, right? I think that's Patricia. Yeah. Yes, she's the younger sister. Right. Yes. She's her. uh yeah. So yeah, she's making uh, a and a return of, of Heather uh, Langenkamp from part one, if yes. I recall. But yeah, sorry. Good. She's making. Uh, oh, she's falling asleep. Bad idea. We know how this turns out. Yeah. <laughs> she's making a little uh, you know art project about her love for Dawkins, and now that's come to life. And here we go. It's so good. She's walking along. She's having night. Oh, there's Freddie. Freddie's in there along with uh, the band. And here's the boiler room. Oh, no. She's remembering. This is so 80s. This is so too many sequels. You know, we got to put the popular band. We can't get the popular band. Who's available? Dawkins available. I think in some regards, this is almost a harbinger for, like, when this kind of thing went off the rails. Yeah. Like, because, like, okay, you talk about Goonies. You talk about some of the others. Like, Hellraiser strangely did it right. <laughs> yes. And then there's like this, and it's like, uh, technically it's doing everything right, but like everything about this is just so, uh, give me a break. Oh my God, here comes the guitar solo where his, the power of the guitar has, he's come through the wall. And he's now uh-huh. looking at Patricia Arquette starring in the music video, and she's mesmerized by the playing of the guitar. This is so good. To be fair, a lot of girls in the 80s are sure. mesmerized by the playing of hair metal bands, guitars, but um, there, there is a lack of fr- there's a lack of Freddie in this video. I mean, he's in there, but like not nearly. Ah, here we go. Well, okay. What's he gonna do? Play go. guitar with the friggin' well, yeah. Glove? Why not? Well, it break he, the strings, man. Off, he could just you know, he make it work. There he is. He's just sort of standing at the top of the stairs with like the glove, like hi. Yeah, we know you have the glove, Freddie. Nice job, thanks. And here's Doc. The, uh, uh, Don Dockin is doing his best David Coverdale in this video, by the way. Yikes. More, more from him later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, uh, if if uh, if I have to pick one, I'm picking Hellraiser instead of uh, Dream Warriors. I gotta say. Yeah, me too. As far as songs goes, as far as movies, um, uh, particularly horror part threes, complete the, opposite, the reverse. Yes. yes. Um, but yeah, so you've seen that live, huh? Oh yeah, he uh, Dokken opened for White Snake, who were Perfect. followed by the Scorpions. 2002 at the CenturyLink Center. Actually, yeah, I remember that. Con- I didn't go to that concert, but I, now that you mentioned it, I remember that happening. It was yes. much fun, and I wish they would. I guess that was 17 yeah. years ago at this point. I don't know if uh, these guys can still walk anymore, but uh, we'd love to have them here. Yeah. Um, I imagine there's a lot of hair extensions on that stage that night. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, well, Don might have come out in between uh, White Snake and Scorpions and, and like came up to a guardrail to sign autographs. Uh, like, hey, guys, I'm still here if you remember me. That, that might have happened. Did you did you get his autograph? No, I was far, I was kind of far away from. Him. Oh, yeah. Well, you should have worn a low cut top. Yeah, anyway, um, you're gonna have to carry me through this. Yeah, okay. I, this is not one I've seen. So I'm um, yeah. For the record, yeah, as you mentioned, you've never seen Suspiria mm-hmm. either of them. So here goes. Which this was touched upon a little bit in our first episode, but here goes anyway. Dario Argento, Italian horror filmmaker. This, that, and the other. His most famous horror film is probably this one, Suspiria. Uh, he has a tendency to collaborate with a band called Goblin or better, sometimes just members of the band, but right. Which came up in our stranger thing. Yeah. Episode. yeah. But in a large amount of his movies, it, like I said, if you don't have Goblin proper, you have like Claudio Simonetti or, you know, one of the members of Goblin sure. doing the score. Um, so Suspiria, 
it's kind of hard to explain. Okay, Goblin is like basically a prog rock band, also Italian. If you want to get technical about it, okay, again, song's called Suspiria, out of the movie Suspiria. Mm-hmm. There are lyrics, though they're basically impossible to figure out what's being said. I'm sure somebody somewhere has a list, but I've seen the dude play it live, and I have no idea what he was saying. Like, <laughs> I do believe at some point he says the word Suspiria and, you know, which and this, that, and the other, but there's all mythology behind the whole thing, which we'll save for like a maybe a horror episode later mm-hmm. or something like that. But anyway, the thing that's interesting to me, and that's why I brought these two up, is kind of a parallel because I think amongst horror fans, Suspiria is definitely memorable. Yeah. Amongst the general population, not so, not so much. It was apparently a modest hit when it came out in 77 by 77 standards. Enough of a hit that it got a sequel, which was later buried, and I think released a video here in like 87 called Inferno, which sadly, in my opinion, is actually better than Suspiria, but never mind all that. And actually, Keith Emerson did the score for that one of Emerson Lake Palmer. Palmer, So anyway, but back to this one. Movie is sort of a, and I mean, this is kind of Argento's thing. It's like less about plot and more about mood, atmosphere, feeling, music especially music and basically kind of a fever dream type story about a girl that goes to a dance academy, which is in fact a front for a coven of witches. Mm. And that is also the case for the remake. And apart from the sentence that I uttered just now, that is the only thing these two movies have in common, (laughs) except for maybe one other thing, music, which we'll get to, but the, uh, but like I said, it's, it hits all the qualifications. It's a good song. Goblin's an interesting listen if you like anything that's like electronic or like prog rock based. And mm. not all of it, you know, is necessarily very lyrical, but it's out there. Right. It's a good listen. And I do recommend both versions of Suspiria, which is a rare thing for me because nine times out of ten, I don't like the remake. Right. Like, as we mentioned, Pet Cemetery. <laughs> but um, continuing on to the second one, and that, well, actually, before I get to that, the kind of the point I'm making here. Probably the score from Suspiria and the song Suspiria itself, I would say in some regards, left maybe more of a long-lasting impression just on culture as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like Marilyn, I've seen both Marilyn Manson and the Smashing Pumpkins, like, you know, like as they're being kind of like played out onto the stage, be played out to this song. Right. And I know, I don't know that a lot of people know the song necessarily they're hearing, but like you would hear it, but oh, I remember that one. That was from the Manson show where blah, 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 or the pumpkin show where, you know, et cetera. Right. So my point is basically in some regards, that score and that song has more of a long lasting legacy to some than maybe the movie did barring, you know, people who are fans of horror, possibly fans of, you know, mildly obscure horror, Yeah. which brings me to the remake, which came out last year was directed by an Oscar-nominated director from, I think, the previous year. Uh, had a fairly star-studded cast. It had Dakota Johnson in it. It had Chloe Grace Moretz. It had um, Tilda Swinton playing three roles, ironically. Mm. Matter of fact, there's really only one guy of any consequence in the movie, and that guy is played by Tilda Swinton. So there you go. And it is scored by Tom York from Radiohead. Yes. This I didn't know. Yes. Yeah. And he has two songs off it. If you want to pull up a video and give it a look real quick, it's kind of more of a modern example. But, I mean, it gets across, like, the creepy vibe of what you're dealing with here. But, yeah, still. What's interesting to me, though, is the soundtrack, particularly amongst, like, Radiohead fans and whatnot, really did take off. And the movie, uh, last I checked, I think it made 
maybe single digits, mm. like as far you know, like maybe maybe didn't break ten million. Okay. And I know it was made like I think it was produced by Amazon. It's on Amazon Prime. If anyone actually wants to give it a look, I without blinking, I will say this: best horror movie of probably the last twenty five years, or at least in contention for it. And one of the few times when a remake arguably might even be better than the original. But me, I like plot. The original doesn't have a lot of plot. Sure. Having said all that, the point I was getting at, again, because you had Tom York, of all people, doing the score, you have another case where it's like the score, you know, basically you have an entire Tom York album that is called Suspiria from this movie. Yeah. And so ultimately its legacy might be not that dissimilar from its predecessor in that you had, you know, for whatever reason, and now, like I said, in this case, the movie basically just didn't really catch on. And, I mean, it didn't get much of a chance either. It was not a wide release, et cetera, the set and the other. But but you still have a case of songs written by a very famous, very talented musician. Yep. And it would be my bet that they will stand the test of time and probably be more remembered than the movie they were attached to, ultimately. I got you. I love that you're, like, into this. Like, you know, this is definitely your wheelhouse. I do what I can. Yeah. Nice job. Yeah. Uh, which that leads us to, and hopefully you have seen this one, Cat People. So this is the, um, is this the movie with like, oh God. It's about people who, who turn into, get turn this, into cats. cats. I feel like they show this one on AMC, like Halloween season. Well, they probably typically. added, they probably added it a, Quite a bit. I, I usually kind of, I think I usually skip past this one. I don't know. It's worth watching the Malcolm real McDowell's version at least once. Right. Love Malcolm McDowell. It's set in New Orleans. It's a very bizarre movie. And as I mentioned, you know, but I mean, the title kind of says it all. If I recall, it's a remake, but. Okay. Yeah, Natasha Kinski. I, I know what this is. Yeah. yeah it, but it's kind of twisted. It's sort of like. <sighs> something like this brother and sister who live together and apparently descend from this bloodline or something that may or may not be, I can't remember. I think they might be aliens of some sort or something, mm-hmm. but you know, humans who, you know, shapeshift into yeah. cats or when, and when I say cats, I don't mean like house cats. I mean like, you yeah, know, yeah. like Panthers, that kind of thing. And, uh, I saw the movie. I usually try to do like 31 days of Halloween, you know, where you like tear through, 31 horror movies mm-hmm. in October. I tried to do that, or did that last year, and this was one of the ones and because I'd never actually seen the movie. Yeah. And, and, of course, the reason we're talking about it is... The song. There you go. And the reason we're talking about it again, and this is another one of those cases where it's like the movie is eh, and not that memorable, but somehow or another they got Bowie to do the theme song, yeah. and the theme song, quite a bit more successful, quite <laughs> a bit more memorable, leaves quite a bit more of an impression than right. the movie, or at least a good one, I should yeah. say. Also, the song was inexplicably in the movie *Inglorious Bastards*, a Tarantino film, as as one does with Tarantino movies. Yeah, right? you'd never know what to expect. Right. But yeah, so I'm guessing you have not seen this movie. I don't think I have. I think I usually skip past this one. Might be worth a watch, but like I said, I brought it up because literally it is a song written about the movie right. that covers the subject matter, this, right. that, and the other. And there's probably hundreds or thousands of people who have heard the song, like the song even, and have never seen the movie that it's attached to. Yeah. So uh, I think there's 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 so many more of those than I think we even realize. Yeah. And we're uncovering some of them today. Mm. And it is weird a lot of times when it's like they get someone who's like 
you know, like at the top of like greatest of all time to do something. And then it's like they did it for a movie that 90% of the population has never seen. Sure. So there we are. Um, in the interest of time constraints, yes. I do believe that might be our last one. Unless maybe, we... you know what? I'll tell you what. Okay. I think the thing that might have started all this was The Last Note of Freedom by David I Coverdale. I think that's what got so, us wanting to do this episode. So, yeah, we could end with that. Why don't we? Oh, boy. Do I love this so much. So, uh, I have shared with you in the past my affinity for Whitesnake. Yes. Great. I, I, I got deep cuts as far as Whitesnake goes. Yes. Um. Coverdale's awesome. Yes. I'm watching uh, Days of Thunder, mm-hmm. as, as one does, um, when anytime it's on television, I, I usually stop what I'm doing to watch it. Um, I was very excited to beat my, uh, Michael Rooker a couple of weeks ago because of his role as Roddy Burns. Right. I'm watching Days of Thunder. Uh, family was in town. It's on. Hey, you know, we're kind of just sitting there watching TV. Movie ends. And what sounds like the score plays over the, the closing credit, the closing scene, closing credits. Uh-huh. Um, wait, hold on just a second. That's, that's lyrics put to the score. Cha-ching, bonus point. My God, that's Whitesnake. Or at least David Coverdale. Yes. Special Cha-ching. request by Tom Cruise, by the way, that David Coverdale yes. performed that song. Yes. Sorry, go ahead. Wait a minute. How have I not known this to this point in my life? So, of course, I go straight to, the, to Google and start pulling up all this wonderful information about The Last Note of Freedom. Uh, there isn't like an official music video, which really disappoints me. Yeah. Like you have a lot of YouTube thrown together clips Scenes of the movie. Scenes from the movie. With, and, yes. And I will say also on YouTube, you can find like the extended right. original vaguely Peter Gabriel-esque version of the song that you don't actually even find on the soundtrack. But anyway, right. sorry. And so we get bonus points for the fact that in one of the lyrics in the song, Days of Thunder, See Me Shine. Right. Uh, I, I feel like, of course, this song was probably not written for the NASCAR movie, but whatever works. Uh, the fact also that Billy well, actually, Idol... in this case, apparently it was. Was it? But, okay. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like that was probably meant for something. But Billy Idol wrote this. You know that. I do now. Which just makes it even better. Billy Idol and Hans Zimmer are the songwriters for this movie. The the Mm -hmm. score part being why Hans Zimmer gets a writing credit. And like I said, Coverdale I know came in at the request of Tom Cruise. I do not know, you know, uh, did he not have anything to do with writing it? I don't think so. And it's funny too because it's hard to even begin to imagine this song as like a Billy Idol song. Because like, I, I would say Billy Idol and... David Coverdale slash Whitesnake are about as night and day as you can get. Oh, yeah. Even if they're still sort of technically from the Under same. the same umbrella, kind yes. of. Yeah, but I totally get you. Anyway, continue. Um, sorry. Everything about this, you've got the Hans Zimmer parts, you've got the Billy Idol words, you've got David Coverdale making it all come to life. The fact that Tom Cruise wanted David Coverdale yeah. to sing the song is awesome. The fact that there's the, the lyric from that, Days of Thunder is in there as a lyric that it is the perfect use. Not not quite perfect because the name of the song is not Days of Thunder. If the name of the song is Days of Thunder, we, we're in business here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's that I can't go on, I'm yearning, we're going to win, kind of, you know, I'm reaching for the finish line type of late 80s, early 90s 
nonsense in music that we just love because yeah. of how cheesy it all is, but it's just perfect on so many levels. And this was, like you said, hair metal in the 90s. So. Hair metal in the 90s. Yeah. Absolutely. The fact, that, the fact that Tom Cruise wanted him on, that's so that's so good. Um, that's a great soundtrack, too, by the way. Joan Jett. Yeah. Um, Elton John, Tina Turner, mm. John Waite. Great stuff on there. I do think that's a movie... I don't feel like it got maybe quite as much of its due as it should have. No, it's a great movie. I feel like yeah. the maybe the critics were a little harsh sure. on it, but it's sure. like you don't have to like any yeah amount of NASCAR to like that movie. No, and um, it's a it's a good movie. You know, it's in my opinion stands test time, and mm-hmm. but it seems like one of those that, like I said to some degree has sort of fallen off a lot of people's radar as far as oh Tom for Cruise sure. Goes. But anyway, yeah, I, I wish there was an official music video so badly, but uh, but there's not. That's okay. But that is the song I think that struck a chord in, mm. in both you and I about doing this episode. Yes. Um, not only because we like the movie and not only because Roddy Burns was coming to town, but I have, the minute I put two and two together and found out this what this song was and who sang it was over 10 years ago. Mm. I'm going to say, two, well, maybe right at 10 years ago, maybe 2009, 2010. Mm. Um, but ever since then, I was like immediately, all right, uh, to to the iTunes store. I got to have that right now. I got. I need that in my life today. It's just a big part of why I slotted it for the main event. Absolutely. But yes. Um, having said that, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if this podcast hits it really big, and you know, we get maybe eight or nine listeners, mm. not just our current. I think maybe we can, seven. I think maybe ten. Yeah, I know that's crazy. Got to aim for those double digits. Sure. Maybe one day we can get Coverdale on the phone. Mm. And we can make our own damn video. I would love to talk to him about this. Yeah. I guess you have to get, well, is it better to talk to him or Billy Idol? Hmm. To kind of know where where they were coming from with this, you know? Well, we got to throw Hans Zimmer in there too. Sure. We're, we're shooting big here. Yeah. Episode two, you know, we got like seven listeners. We're, we're going straight for legends of, of music and, and composing and and the 80s and everything else. Again, Coke, if you want to sponsor this, we did love your product yes. from, uh, from the 80s there. Absolutely. Everything, what everyone else says, that's a lie. It, it was a beautiful product, and <laughs> I, for one, wish it was still on the market today. 